Hey, welcome to church, everybody. Thank you for those of you guys who are here in person, for those of you guys watching online. Thanks for spending this time with us. Uh, we started a new series, a four-part series last week called Prodigal. And what we're doing over the next four weeks, um, or since last week, is we are taking a deep dive in the story, the parable of the prodigal son, to understand what it's really about. And the beauty of the story of the prodigal son is it's not just a feel-good story. It's not just something to make you feel loved or feel like you can be forgiven. There is so much more practicality in this, in this story. It is so relevant in the way we choose to live our lives. That's what we discovered last week. And so we're going to continue in the story. Um, last week, we read the entire story together, and I'm not going to do that because it takes so much time. If you're not really familiar with this story, I encourage you to go back, uh, go to your Bible, Luke chapter 15, and read the story of the prodigal son, um, and it'll make a lot more sense if you're kind of familiar with that. Now, um, I, I do have to, I must retract a statement that I made last week. I it is my desire to always preach the truth to you, and you guys want that, right? You don't want me to preach lies. That makes sense. And, and I won't say that so much this was something that I preached was a lie, but it's possible I shared something with you last week that was an error. Upon further study, I realized that I might have been wrong about something. Apparently, Itsumi Mario may not be a thing. Now, some of you guys are like, what are you talking about? You got to listen to our podcast or go on YouTube last week. Uh, I came across some other information. New information has been brought to my attention that maybe the whole, it's not it's a me Mario, it's it's a me Mario, that has come into question, and I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I've read this thing that says, it's me is not a real word, it's actually a surname, and it's not really like, you know what, and, and, and people are saying, no, no, he is saying it's a me Mario. And then I came up with another theory that is even more interesting. If Itsumi is a surname, that means maybe that's Mario's last name. I think that's wrong, but it's fun to think about, isn't it? But I want to retract my statement. Also has nothing to do with the message, but I wanted to be honest and have integrity before you guys. All right, so as we enter into part two, let me quickly reveal what we were talking about last week. We're talking about what's the main point of the story of the prodigal son. And we discovered that the main point is not the younger brother. The main point is not the older brother. And in fact, the main point is not even the father. The main point of the story of the prodigal son is that the point of the prodigal son is that the way of both brothers lead to emptiness. That the brothers, the younger brother's way of, of self-discovery, where he says, I'm going to do whatever I want. It's me plus me plus me equals happiness. That's wrong. That leads to emptiness and that leads to lostness as it stands in the story of the prodigal son. But the way of the older brother of what we call moral conformity, that I'm going to do good and be good and then I will be happy. If I be good and do good and do the right things, it will automatically lead me down a path where I will be happy. And Jesus is saying, that's not necessarily true. You think that because you are being obedient and doing the things I wanted to, that that will necessitate happiness. And he says, you are missing something in that way of life. And the, uh, the equation we gave for that was what I call the, the Christian American dream. Money plus church plus family equals happy. If I have money, if I attend church, and if I have a family, then I'll be happy. Jesus is saying that way of life can also be empty. And that's tough because many of us have sought to live in that way of life. And we've dedicated so much of ourselves, our time and money and energy and attention 
and mental headspace to achieving those things. And Jesus says, be careful because the way of both ways of life are empty. Now today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a closer look at these two ways of life and try to figure out why would it lead to emptiness? Now part of you is probably thinking, I can see why selfish consumerism, me plus me plus me equals happy. You can see why that might lead to emptiness. But why is it that Jesus is saying living a life of good behavior, of obedience, how could that not lead to happiness? We're gonna try to understand that today. And at the end of the message, we're gonna offer what Jesus is saying is the better way. What is the better way? If the older way or the older brother way and the younger brother way are both no good, What is the better way? And we're going to get to that at the very end of the message. So let's pray and get into part two of prodigal. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord God, for your word. Thank you, God, for your message. Thank you, God, for challenging us today. We thought we knew what this story was, but God, you're doing something new and changing our perspectives. And I pray that you would be challenged today. Because like I said last week, Lord, you don't teach fluff. You teach things that will change our lives and challenge us. And I pray, God, that we may be ready to hear you in this moment. In your name we pray. Amen. At first glance, the younger brother and the older brother seem very different. The younger brother seems selfish and crazy and wild. And the older brother seems mature and faithful and good and obedient. But here's the thing, if you look deeper into their stories, if you look deeper into the words that they have shared, you actually find that these brothers are very, very similar, very similar. In fact, they're so similar that both brothers actually want the same things, they're just going about it in two very different ways. So let's look at this. The first brother, the younger brother, he goes to his dad and he says, I want all my stuff. I want the inheritance. I want, I want all the things that you promised to give me after you die, but I want it now. I want it now. And, and it, we have to ask the question, what's the message behind this? What is the message behind this request? What is the, the feeling that the brother has, the young son has, as he says to his dad, I want my inheritance now? I would argue that the message of the younger brother in this request is this. I don't want you, I want your stuff. Father, I don't want you. You don't need to be in the picture. I don't really need a relationship with you, but I want your stuff. See, in the younger brother's mind, the father is not the way to happiness. The father's stuff is the way to happiness. So he says, I want to remove the father from the picture, and then I'll be happy because I don't want to live under your rules. I don't want to live in your house. I don't like the way you run things. I don't like what you tell me to do, and I don't want that. So let me rid you of the picture. Get rid of you because what I really need is your stuff. I want to be free. I want to do whatever I want to do, but I can't. I can't do it in this home, but he also realizes he can't do it without his father's stuff because he's got no stuff of his own. So he says to his father, give me your stuff, essentially telling him, I don't want you, I want your stuff. This is like, that's rough, right? If you're a child, for those of you guys who have children who said, if they said to you, I don't really want you, I don't really want a relationship with you, but just give me your stuff. That's very hurtful, isn't it? That's very hurtful. You know, and, and, and this, this request was a scandalous request. For the younger son to request it of his father was shocking and scandalous. But actually what is more shocking is that the answer the father has to the son is yes. You can have your stuff. If you don't want me, you don't have to have me. I'll give you your stuff. 
Right? This was shocking. This would have shocked the community. This would have surprised everyone. And I want you guys to understand something. This, this, what the father does in response to him is a big deal. Because you got to understand that the, the wealth of the father was not in cash money. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you guys, when you imagine this, when the son said this, he said, okay, and he pulled out a big wad of cash and pulled out rolls of dollar bills and then gave it to him in a duffel bag and said, here, go, here, son, go do your thing. That's not how wealth worked in this time. All of the wealth of the father was in property, land. So in order for the father to honor this request, he had to sell all his land. He had to go around and find people to buy all his land and this part and this parcel and this land and sell it off. And then he could give him the money. Meaning it took time. It's not like he instantly just gave him stuff. There was time for the younger son to consider his decision. There was time for the younger son to say, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. This is kind of messed up. Because you got to also remember that land was so much more than, you know, a piece of property you can build a house on for the people. Land for the people, land for, these, for this ancient civilization was something that generation after generation after generation was building up and contributing to the future generations of their family. So the land that he's selling is land that he amassed and bought in order to provide for his family. But it's also the land his father bought and got together for his family and his grandfather and his great-grandfather. So in the land that they hold is a history of their family of how they struggled and how they strived and they built up a life for their family. It's so meaningful from a sentimental, figurative place. It's not just about dollar bills. And so the father is tearing up his life and his family's legacy for this selfish, selfish son. Taking time, having every opportunity for the younger son to change his mind, but he does not. And the father says, sure. If that is what you want, son, I will give you your stuff. You don't want me, you want my stuff, you can have it. And there is a very, very scary warning in this story that we often don't think about. If you don't want God, you don't have to have God. If you want to push God away, he will let you go. I don't know if we grew up, you who grew up in the church, who've heard the message of God's love so long, We think that no matter what I do, God will always be there for me. He's always going to love me. And that is true. He will always love you. And he will always be there for you if you need him. But if you want to reject him, you can lose God. Not because he doesn't love you. Not because he doesn't want to be there for you. But if you want to push him away, he will back away. And I don't know about you, but that's like, that's kind of scary. Because I think, oh, he's always going to be there but I can reject him enough where I walk away and we are separate and our relationship is broken. I can do that. Now, if you call on him and you respond to him, in his grace, he'll come back to you. But if you don't, he'll respect your decision to reject him. He'll respect your decision and your desire to want stuff and not him. So that's the younger brother. That's the younger brother. That's what he wants. I don't want you. I want your stuff. Now, to understand the mindset and the heart of the older brother, we got to look at the words he says to his father when his brother comes back. This is what he says to when he fi- finds out what's happening. Uh, this is his reaction. This is Luke chapter 15. It says, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in to the party, the party that is being thrown because the younger brother came back. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and he begged him. But he replied, uh, begged him, sorry. Yeah, but he replied, 
all these years, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, not my brother, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Let's take a moment to kind of like get into the mind of this older brother, right? As you can tell from the words he shares, he's very bitter, right? That's probably the best word to describe how the brother's feeling, bitter, resentful. And do you get the sense that he's been thinking about this for a while? Like this is not the first time he thought, where's my goat? Where's my stuff? Like, where, how come I'm here every day, every single day I put in the work, and like, how come dad is not giving me a goat? You get the sense that this is like festering in him and he's been wanting this and this is just the first time he's sharing it. You guys have had moments like that with people in your life, right? Maybe, Maybe partners, spouses, parents, where something's been bothering you for a while. You haven't said anything, but as you let it sit in there, it's like festering and getting worse and worse and then it comes out. This is what's happened to the older brother. Finally, it comes out, his true feelings. He wasn't, he wasn't out in the field for noble purposes. He wasn't like, I love my father so much, so let me work hard for him. No, clearly, he was harboring this resentment. What's the message of the older brother? If the message of the younger brother is, I don't want you, I want your stuff, the heart behind the, younger bro- the older brother's complaint is essentially, I didn't get enough of your stuff. The younger brother says, I don't want you, I want your stuff. The older brother's like, I've been here and I didn't get enough of your stuff. Now, I know you've been feeding me all these years and you put a roof over my head, but I didn't get a goat. I didn't get the calf. That seems kind of unfair to me. I've been here with you the whole time, yet I still feel unfulfilled because for me, the way to happiness still is not you, dad. It's still the stuff. And I feel like I didn't get enough of it. And so I'm angry, and so I'm bitter, and so I'm unhappy. So you're seeing that these, both these brothers are becoming very, very similar. What it is about for both of these brothers is both of them were rejecting the father and wanting the stuff of the father. And we have to be careful here, because if we're really honest, many of us, if you grew up in church, this is where we are. We want God to do the things we want him to do for us, and we get him to do it by being good. Because I behaved, because I went to church, because I did all these things. We have this sentiment in our hearts and minds that if we do the right thing, God will bless us, right? And when something bad happens, in our minds is, God, how could you do that? I'm faithful. I go to church, and I give tithe, and I do all the things, and I serve, and I go on mission trips, and I worship, and I lead, and I volunteer. How could you let this happen to me? This is the same mentality of the older brother. I've been working in the field. Where's my stuff? I've been serving at the church. Where's my stuff, God? we got to be careful and realize that these two ways of life represent so many of us. And so this older brother, he's like, I didn't get enough stuff. The younger brother, I want your stuff. I don't want you. Neither of them really want the father. Neither of them think the father is the way to happiness and fulfillment. Neither of them think that a relationship with God, the relationship with the father is what's going to make them truly, truly happy in their lives. They just want his stuff. Do you guys ever feel that way? I want God's stuff more than I really want God. I want his blessings. I want his favor I want him to help me find a good parking spot at the supermarket. 
I want him to get me a a good return on my investments. I want him to work out these scenarios for you, but I'm not really gonna spend time with you, God. If you want the blessings from God, but you refuse to spend time with him, you are the older brother. You You don't want him, you want his stuff. You are the younger brother, you are the older brother. So as we're looking at this, it's becoming a little bit more clear why these both these ways of life will lead to emptiness. Right, if we think about this, the two things we need to understand, there are two things that we have to understand about the relationship that the brothers, the sons have with the father. The first one is about the stuff, right? And so you, you can understand that relationships characterized by self-centered consumerism are empty. You've, you've probably experienced this before. A relationship you've had where it's about self-centered consumerism, where one person is taking, 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 and the other person is giving, giving, giving. And you could understand why a relationship like that would be empty, right? That's pretty clear. If one person is just receiving and there's no relationship, but the relationship is give and take, give and take, and only on one side, it makes sense that that kind of a relationship would be empty. But here's the other thing that we got to understand about their relationships. What were the younger, what are the brothers trying to do here? What were they really trying to do? Yeah, they're trying to get the stuff. But who's in control of the stuff? The father. They can't just have the stuff. What both of these brothers are trying to do, and this is crazy, both brothers were trying to control the father. The younger brother is trying to get the father to do what he wants by demanding it and by rebelling. Give it to me now. Give it to me now. I want it now. Give me, my, give me the stuff. But the older brother was also trying to control the father by being good. If I work every day, if I work hard, he's going to bless me. He's going to give me that goat. He's going to give me that calf. He's going to give me those sheep. He's going to give me what I want because I put in the time. I put in the effort. I put in the energy. I've been working hard for him. Of course, he's going to give it to me. Both of these brothers are trying to control the father. And this is another reason why this way of life, both ways of life, lead to emptiness and lostness because relationships characterized by control are also empty. Isn't that true? A relationship when there is no freedom, a relationship where people don't respect each other in those ways and are forcing and demanding of one another, you can see how a relationship like that could be empty. And if we have a relationship with God where you are constantly trying to control God to get him to do what you want, your relationship with him might be empty. And the scary thing is the way church people, and I'm including myself in this, the way church people try to control God is through good behavior. And we have to be careful because the story is telling us that's empty. I see through it. I know what you're trying to do. And now we're getting to understanding why these ways of life are empty. And we're getting closer to what is the better, the better way. When Jesus went to the cross, the day before, the night before he went to the cross, there's this moment, this really, really powerful moment where he is in a garden and he is praying and, he's, and, and we get a look into what Jesus' mind is. And we see that Jesus was really struggling with, to, with going to the cross. He was like, He was afraid, he was worried, he was like struggling with that decision to go to the cross and die for us. 
because of the pain, because of all that stuff. And we have this moment in Matthew chapter six where the story tells us, it says, Jesus, he went on a little further and bowed his face to the ground praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. In other words, I don't wanna do this. This is really hard, God. Father, this is really tough. I don't know if I can handle this. But then he follows this up with this statement. Yet, I want your will to be done and not mine. I want your will to be done and not mine. This is the opposite of the brothers. He is not trying to control God. He is submitting his will to the Father. It's not about what I want. I'll clearly state to you, God, I don't really want to do this. This is really hard. But what you want is more important than what I want. What your will is is more important than my will. And I will not try to change your mind. I will not try to control you with good behavior or with demanding or prayers or whatever. I'm going to surrender and I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust. See, in this story, what we see Jesus, what we see in Jesus is this deep sense of trust. He trusts the Father with everything. He trusts the Father with his life. He trusts the Father with his eternal life. He trusts the Father with his divine nature. And this is so, so important. When we think about trust and what that means for a relationship, the younger brother and the older brother clearly they didn't trust the father, did they? They did not trust that the father was the way for, to fulfillment, satisfaction, and happiness. It wasn't the father. It was the stuff. It's not you. I don't trust you. you you've been, you've been, uh, you, you've, you forced me and you've oppressed me. That's what the younger brother's saying. You made me do the things that I didn't want to do. You don't want me to be happy. The older brother, too. You don't care about me. You just care about what I can produce for you. I don't really trust you either. And so they try to control him as humans often do. But here's what we really have to understand. This is what's really challenging for me. We have to understand that you do not trust what you try to control. If you try to control something or someone, it means you don't really trust them. And if you try to control God with good behavior, with whatever you do, with bargaining, negotiating, come on, we've done that, right? God, if you do this for me, I promise I'll do this. If you try to control God, it might mean that you don't really trust him. If you make those deals, if you demand your way, if you try to prove yourself to him with good behavior so he'll do what you want him to do, I don't know if you or me or all of us really trust now, this is why the way of both brothers is empty. It's because there is a lack of trust in that relationship. That ultimately what they're doing here, this is what sin is. This is what sin really is. Sin is not bad behavior. Bad behavior comes from sin, but sin is not bad behavior. Sin is not going to the clubs and doing the thing and, and stealing. That's not really sin. The core and the root of sin, sin is replacing God with yourself. That's what sin is. Saying, God, I don't want you to be the king. I don't want you to be the God. I don't want you to lead my life. I want to lead my own life. That, that is the root of sin. 
everything else, all the things that we do that we consider sin, all of that comes from that place. All of that comes from this desire to be your own God, to be your own master, to be your own king or be your own queen. That's where sin comes from. I don't want you, God. I'm going to throw you out and I'm going to sit on the throne of my own life. That is sin. That is what sin really is. And if we think sin is just the bad behaviors we do, you're going to be constantly dealing with the symptoms and you're never going to get to the root cause of the problem. And you're always going to be struggling and you're never going to find victory because you're trying through willpower. And so this is why both ways of the brother are empty. Because they are rooted and grounded in sin. Because they're rooted and grounded in the idea that I know what's best for me. I know what I need to be happy. I will be my own God. I will be my own provider. I will be my own savior. I know better than you. So give me your stuff. I don't need you. I just want your stuff because that's what will make me happy. That's why this, these ways of life, that's why the Christian American dream, guys, if I just do the things and have all the right things and have all the, the, the money and the family and the go to church, then God will bless me, then I'll be happy. That's why that, even that way of life can be rooted in sin. And that's crazy and that's scary and that's really worrisome. And I know this message, right, Sounds like a lot of bad news, doesn't it? Like the way you've been living is and sinful and the way you've been living is empty and the way you've been living is lost and you're lost and that's kind of what this message sounds like. But, but I want to take a moment to help you understand that even though this seems like really bad news, this is actually really great news. This is good news, guys. What I'm sharing with you, as, as dark as it sounds, is really, really good news because what this means is that the good works that you do and I do the good works that we do to, to gain God's favor, the, the, good, the, the good works we do to earn his love, the good works we do to manipulate and control God, it means that those good works, those moments of good behavior that we use for, for those reasons, that those mean nothing to God when it comes to your standing before him. All the stuff that we might be trying to do to impress him so that he'll do the things and he'll give us the things, those mean absolutely nothing. All those good works means nothing. And that's good news because what that means is, is that the love that he has for you, the grace he has shown you, the favor he's poured out upon you has nothing to do with your good works. They mean nothing. The good works mean nothing. The love of God is there for you just because of who you are, not because of what you've done. You cannot earn his love because he's given every single drop of his love to you already. There is no more love to give because he's given everything and it has nothing to do with what you've done and it has nothing to do with what you're going to do. Your good works mean nothing. And this is good news. Because if it was based on our good works, we'd all be in trouble, right? Because even our good works, let's be honest, even our good works are not very good. Because like the older brother and the younger brother, oftentimes they are contaminated with self-centered consumerism and a desire to control. Those kinds of works, what will that do? And God says, you don't need any of that stuff. You don't need to earn or prove yourself to me. I love you unconditionally. And he really means that, guys. And I know we say, but he really means 
unconditionally. And so he's like, don't stop striving to do that. You don't need to do that. You don't, don't control me because I love you and my favor has been poured out all upon you. And those good works, what you gotta understand is that obedience to God, obedience to his law, obedience and doing the things that he loves and, and, and doing what he wants you to do, those are not, and listen to me, those are not requirements for his love. They are results of his love. You hearing that? Obedience is not a requirement for his love. They are a result of his love. In other words, we don't obey God so that he'll love us. We obey God because he loves us. We don't obey God to, 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 so that he will look upon us with, with goodness and gladness and favor. No, we, we obey him because he already does that. And so let's understand that this story is good news. And he's saying all your, your works, yeah, it doesn't matter. Don't think of your good works as a way to influence me and control me. That's not the way. I've given you all my love, all my favor. I've died on the cross for you. You don't need to earn it. You cannot earn it. You know, most religions in history are all about what we have to do to get to God. Most religions in history give you instructions and prescribe things that you need to do in order to please God so that God will do stuff for you. You do these sacrifices, you do these prayers. Most religions are all about that. Christianity is very unique because Christianity is the one religion where it has nothing to do with what we have to do to get to God and has everything to do with what God has done to get to us. That's the difference, and that's huge, because there is nothing, nothing, nothing that we can do to get to him. There is nothing that we can do to achieve that. There is nothing that we can do to separate the gap between us and God. He is that big, and we are that small. But the story of Christianity is he has done everything for him to get to us. That is what makes this belief, this way of life, this belief system, this faith so, so beautiful. And I don't know where you guys are, all are. Like, I don't know if everyone here believes in God. You might be, and if you're here and you're not so sure about God, man, I'm so grateful that you're spending this time with us. That is amazing. Now, I want you to know that if you're not even really sure about God, if you do choose to believe, if you do get to a place where you're like, yeah, I actually, I think I believe in God, I want you to know that that God on the other side of decision is this God that I'm talking about right now. One that says you are loved fully and completely and conditionally and you, have to do, you don't have to do anything for my love. I've poured it out for you and I've done everything to go to you. I've done everything to come to you. It's not about what you can do for me. It's about what I have done, already done for you on the cross. Like that's what this is all about. So this is so important for us because this is the foundation for the better way. The bad way, the, the empty way, the lost way of the younger brother and the older brother is rooted in sin. It's rooted in this desire to replace God with ourselves, to control him. But the better way is rooted in the unconditional love of God. It's rooted in the understanding that God loves me no matter what. It's, the, it's rooted in the understanding that God loves me with this love that is unparalleled. The better way is the way of trust, the way of trust. I'll take a moment to unpack that. The older brother and the younger brother, the way of moral conformity and the way of, of self-discovery, of me, 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 all that stuff, empty. The better way, as we see in the story of the prodigal son, is the way of trust. Because if you think about it, 
even if you have everything, you have the money, you have the church, you have the family, what would life be like if you had no trust? What would your family be like if you had no trust? What would, what would all your money be worth if you had no trust? What would church be like if you came to a place, came to a building once a week, but you didn't trust the people in the room? You didn't trust the person standing here, that, that the person standing here knows what he's talking about, the person standing here, you know, cares about you? What would church be like if you had no trust? And what would a relationship with God be like if you had no trust? Like, that's what we need. That's, that's like the key ingredient, the way of trust. Trusting that the Father knows what is best for me? That the Father knows what he's doing. That the Father, that a relationship with the Father is the way and path to fulfillment and happiness and satisfaction and peace and anxiety. What would life be like if you could literally only trust in yourself? I don't know about you, but that sounds kind of rough. You know, we talked about earlier how sin is replacing God with ourselves. Let me ask you this. Do you really, really, really want to be the God of your own life? Like, really? Every mistake that you've ever made, you were there for that. You know that? Every bad decision you made in your life and I've made in my life was because of us. So you wanna put that guy and that girl in charge of your life? Like, how much do you know? How much do I know? Like, I know so little, guys. I know so little about so many things. I'm like, I do not deserve to be the God of my own life. I'm not worthy to be the God of my own life. Are you worthy to be the God of your own life, dude? I don't know, man. I know some of you. You should not be in charge of your own life. And I'm just joking about that, but, but if we really think about it, we are so limited, and we've made so many mistakes, and we are so inconsistent that it's not wise to just trust in ourselves. We need others, and we need someone. We need to live a life where we can trust in someone bigger and better and greater than us. That is where peace comes from. That is where freedom comes from. That is the way of trust. And here's what I want you to trust. I'm going to boil it down. Like, what are we supposed to trust in? That, that God is going to provide, that God loves me? What, what are we trusting in? If you can trust in this next statement, if you could believe what I'm going to say next, then you are on the way to the way of trust. Do you trust that what your heavenly Father wants for you is only your deepest happiness? Do you trust that? Do you trust that in spite of what may be going on in your life, that you understand what God really wants for me is my deepest, deepest happiness? If you don't trust him in this, it's going to be a really hard time trusting him in any other thing in your life. But I believe that he has shown us in Scripture in the story of the people of Israel, in the story of the church, and the story of the gospel, that what God has in mind for you is not what you can do for him, how you can please him, how can you can build something for him, but that what he has for you, what he has in his mind for you is only your deepest happiness, your deepest sense of fulfillment and satisfaction and peace. If you can trust that your heavenly father wants that for you, then we can begin to live a life in the way of trust. 
where we don't try to control him anymore, but we surrender to him. We share our thoughts and we share our desires, but at the end of the day, we say what Jesus says, not what I will, but your will be done, Lord. That is the way. That is the way of trust. That is the path in the story of the prodigal son that is not mentioned, but it's there. The path to happiness and life and joy and peace. Do you trust that what your heavenly father wants for you is only your deepest happiness? So the, the conclusion is really simple, uh, simply a question. Which way of life will you choose? Will you choose the way of self-discovery, me plus me plus me equals happy? Or will you choose the, the way of moral conformity? I'm gonna do good, I'm gonna do the right thing because then God will bless me and he'll take care of me. Knowing that both these ways of life lead to disconnection because at the end of the day, who's disconnected from the father? The younger son and the older son, both disconnected, both separated, both in broken relationships. Or will you say, I will choose the way of trust. Father, I believe that what you want for me is only my deepest happiness. That's a decision that only you can make. And I hope that you will choose the way of trust. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is a challenging message, Lord. Because what I, what I see and what I hear in this message is that I must surrender my will. And that's always, always hard. But Lord, I pray, God, that whatever journey we might be on, let us realize, God, that you truly want for us, what you want for us is our deepest, deepest happiness. Nothing else. And there may be things that are tough, there may be challenges that we'll face in order to get to us to that place. But Lord, I pray that we may have that trust to believe in you. Lord, I don't know where everyone's at in this room, but I hope, God, that we would not want just your stuff, but that we would want you, God. Continue to be with us as we explore this beautiful, brilliant, amazing story. And let us continue to be challenged and let us be changed. In your name we pray. Amen.